we ready to connect up here, Jamie? We'll get connected here in just a minute. Well, welcome. It is good to see all of you here. Special welcome to visitors that are here. Glad you're here to join us. Am I ready? We'll get everything connected here, or try to. For those of you who have not been here, and for you visitors, um, there we go. Um, we have been going through a sermon series um, through First John. So we are in chapter three today. We're working our way through the whole entire book of First John, um, and it's been a really good, a really good series. I've really enjoyed digging into it. Um, hopefully, you've enjoyed participating in it as well. Um, it's been really good seeing some of the themes that John brings out in in this um, short letter that he writes to the believers. And by the way, those, if you're wondering why I'm here again today, um, Marcus and Rita are on a well-deserved weekend getaway, um, so we did just a little bit of flip-flopping. Am I good? Thank you. I'm going to knock my head on, onto one if I don't move it. Thanks, Tim. <clears throat> so we just did a little bit of a switching around, um, and so we're coming with, um, we're looking at chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, and it actually fits really get well with what, um, the, what we looked at last week because it's a continuation. John continues on with this theme. Um, so th- our text is 1 John 3, 11 to 18. Um, let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll come back and look at a number of things. Starting in 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because the love of... Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So there's this this story that I heard. um, I thought it kind of fits in well with this. I guess if I'd give give this a title, it's simply love one another. That's what he's driving at, and we'll kind of pick that apart a little bit. But I heard this, this story, and I thought it fit really well. One Sunday morning, and by the way, this did not happen here, a lady walks into church, and this other lady from church came up and just gave her a big hug and said, it's so good to see her, and she was just completely shocked because this lady had been, I mean, just pretty much snubbed her, ignored her, wouldn't talk to her, but this Sunday morning she came and just gave her a big hug and said, it's so good to see you, and whatnot, and so she was this rolling around in her mind like, what's going on? throughout the service, and the pastor preached his sermon, 
And then he gets to the end of the sermon and he says, so now your challenge is the same as it was last week. Go out there and love someone that you absolutely cannot stand. So no, that didn't happen here. But I hope you can see the, the humor in that because it's, it's funny and yet, and yet when, when I look at this passage and, I, and the way John describes, the way that we are to love, perhaps the greatest test of our love is found in how well we love the most difficult person in our life. How well I can love the most difficult person in my life is perhaps the truest test of what my love actually looks like. <clears throat> so just to back up a little bit, I want to start, I want to start back here um, with some contrasts. Hopefully you can see these, some of these okay. John writes in, in so many different contrasts, and these are some of the ones that we've looked at so far um, leading up to chapter 3. He he contrasts light and darkness. He contrasts truth and deception or truth and lies. He contrasts life and death, love and hate. And that's the one we're looking at today. But John, when he, he writes in these, these, um, these contrasts, there, there's no in-between. He says a child of God is either this way or he's this way. You cannot, remember looked at, we looked at last week, he said you cannot be a child of God, if God's DNA comes into your life blood, your life is going to change. You cannot continue living the way that we did in the past before we were a child of God. Something is going to change. And John is just telling us with all these contrasts that it's either, it either needs to be one way or the other. There's not a whole lot of room for that middle ground um, or that in-between. And as, we, as you read um, some, of, some of these passages, and especially even the one today, it seems in some ways very repetitious, um, the way John writes. But he writes it repetition because there's, there's things that he's wanting to drive home. And one of the themes that we've been talking about in the first John is the theme of our fellowship with God, or our love for God. And then our fellowship with our brother, our love for our brother and sister. That's a theme that flows throughout the book of John. And he looked at, he talked about it a little bit in chapter 2, but now he dives deeper into this idea of loving our brother and sister. And what does that look like? So you see some of these contrasts. That's better, right? So here's our text. Um, and in, in, in the one today, he, he writes this in, he says, we are to love one another. But then he goes into this story of Cain and how we shouldn't hate. So it's this, there's again this, this, this contrast, the pictures that he's painting. And, and the point that John wants to drive home is that you and I, when we leave here today, the way that we live our lives is that we truly learn to love each other, and we actually do that. So, think about that. What does that mean? What does that mean for you and I to actually love someone, to love a brother and sister? What, what does it look like? What should it look like? Well, John dives right in, and he talks about what it shouldn't look like. 
The actions are the revelation of our heart. Do you ever, do you think, is that true? So, I can say that I love you, but my actions say something else. So, which is true? Which is actually true? So, let's look at, let's look at the story of Cain, um, because John, John brings in the story of Cain when he says we should love one another, and then he brings in the story of Cain. So, if you want to follow along, you can tr- turn to chapter 4. I think it's significant, or Genesis chapter 4, I think it's significant enough that we want to look at it because this is, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the only time that John mentions a specific person in all of his writings that he mentions a specific person um, from the Old Testament and relating that to the message that he's trying to convey here. He says, don't be like Cain. And this is the story of Cain. I'm going to read um, in Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read, I think I'll read the first nine verses of Genesis 4. It says, Now Adam knew his wife, and Eve, I'm sorry, Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruits, the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Why would... Cain, or why would John, in trying to get us the, the picture of what it means to truly love each other, why would he go back and talk about the story of Cain? I think it's very clear, it's not hard to figure out that Cain didn't really love Abel, did he? Did you ever think of it that um, Cain was the first person who was born after the fall? The first person born with the sin nature. Obviously, when Adam and Eve sinned, but Cain being the firstborn, he was the first one who was actually born bearing and carrying the sin nature. So in the story of Cain, there's a few things that we don't know. There's a few things that we do know. One of the things um, that we don't know for sure, and we can surmise, is why did God reject Cain's offering? And we can also assume how in the, like, so how did, how did Abel and Cain know to even bring an offering? How did they know to come with sacrifices to God? How did, how, how did they know that? Somewhere along the line, I think Adam had taught them and showed them the way, said, when you come to worship, when you bring your sacrifices, this is what you are to bring. So they knew the right thing to do. And yet when they, they brought their sacrifices, it says God regarded Cain or Abel's 
but he rejected Cain's. Now, the, probably the, the most common idea or thought in why God rejected Cain's offering is that found in the very the wording of it, it says when, about Abel's offering, it says, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. So, the idea that Abel brought the very best of what he had to God. Cain, it just says, he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And so in that, he simply brought, perhaps it was the, the leftovers, or it was some of what wasn't, I don't know. And I think at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters why God rejected Cain's um, at least in, in the, the bigger picture, why God did, I don't think is the most important thing. What I think is important is we look at Cain's response when his offering is rejected. What was Cain's response when, when his offering was rejected, and why did he bring an offering that I would assume anyway that he knew was not what God required? Why would he do that, and then why would he reject, or how, why would he react the way that he did? So, when it says that when God rejected his offering, he became angry, and some translations use the word despondent. So, I mean, his, you can see just the countenance on his face falling. He's angry. He realizes what's happening, and, or despondent, or some, some will use the word that he was jealous you translate that and put envy in there. So, over here, this, this side over here is the, the cycle that I see, or the, the steps of, of Cain and his, his processing as he goes down through it and it ends up with actually killing his brother. <clears throat> so, he became angry. He was very jealous. What was he jealous over? What, what was it that made him angry? Was he angry because... God rejected his offering? Or was he angry because God accepted Abel's offering? John would tell us in, in the text that we read, John would say that Cain, or Cain hated Abel because Abel did what was righteous, what was right, and what he had done was evil. But, but in, his, in his anger and his, in his jealousy, perhaps it was of his brother or his rejection being his offering being rejected to God, whatever it was, he became angry and he became jealous, and that started something going on deep in his heart. But notice that God comes to Cain after he rejects his offering. God comes back to Cain. He says in verse, I think it's in verse six, or yes, God said to Cain, "Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well." Will you not be accepted? So, in other words, if you simply do what I have asked you to do, if you obey what you have been given, will I not accept your offering? And I think God comes to him in that because God is giving Cain a second chance. He's saying, you don't have to stay here. God's giving him another opportunity to make things right. But he also gives him this kind of an ominous warning. He says, but if you don't, says, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. It gives you the picture um, of a, a lion crouching down in the tall grass, waiting for its prey to come by, coming out and pouncing on it. And so I would 
say, <clears throat> I want us to at least think about this, that in rejecting to do what he knew God required of him, started him on a cycle of sin that kept taking him deeper and deeper and deeper. And it led him from his place where he was angry. Now, I can actually, if you think about it, can you, can you relate to Cain at all? You bring something to offer to God. And I don't know, not surmising, but I can get that he'd be upset that his offering was rejected. I think we can, we can get that. But what did he do with it, and how did he respond to it? He allowed something to start, this anger and this jealousy to begin just rolling around in his mind, on and on and on and on. And this progression of things happening, God came to him, gives him another chance, and he rejects that. And then it says, he went and he talked to Abel in there, he's conspiring there is this hatred for his brother that is growing and it just keeps growing and growing to the point that I think he's conspiring. When he talks to Abel, he's telling him, hey, let's go out here, let's go do this or whatever. But he already knows in his mind what he's going to do. So this, this, just this cycle of sin that's perpetuating himself in his life. It goes from jealousy and envy to hatred and then it ends up in murder. He actually killed his brother. Now let's go back to 1 John. Do you think you're ever capable of allowing envy in your heart to lead you a place to a place of hatred to a place where you would actually take life? What's the point? What is John trying to drive at? See, jealousy and envy are fertile ground where hatred grows in. When, when I allow envy or jealousy of a person, if I allow that to fester in my heart and in my mind, think about how that, what that does to how you then view that person. How, what does that do to your relationship with that person? Can you actually truly love a person if you are, have this envy, this stuff that is building up within you if you don't deal with it. You see, Jesus said that if we hate our brother, that's akin to murdering our brother. Hatred always brings death. Hatred always brings death. And while we think we know, you know what, I could never actually take someone's life. But when we use cutting remarks when our attitudes cut people down, is that bringing life or is that bringing death? I touched on it just just a little bit. Why did Cain end up murdering his brother? Verse 15, I'm sorry, verse This is in verse 12. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And then he keeps going and he says, brothers, he says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
The reason Cain hated Abel was because his own actions were evil, his brothers were righteous, and he knew it. And then he says, the world is going to hate you. He talked about this earlier in chapter 3 as well. As a child of God, the world does not know you. Now he says, the world will actually hate you because they hated me. I don't think we can just unequivocally say that if the people, unbelievers, if the world hates us, that we must be doing something right. Sometimes we Christians are just kind of jerks, right? We, we, we just are sometimes. Um, so what does, what does it mean? Why would the world hate you? Why should the world hate you? Does the world hate you? Maybe we should ask the question is why don't they? Why does the world not hate us as, as believers? And then he says, don't be surprised if they do. Because that, should, that is going to be the reality of life, of the life of a believer. And I don't think it means that whenever you go to the grocery store, you're standing in line, you're standing there pumping gas, that the guy in the pump next to you just looks at you and just, just can't stand you. I don't think that's what he's talking about. But what if, when we go to work, what if the language that we're using is different? What if the way we talk about our boss is different? What if we don't participate or take part in the gossip that happens over a cup of coffee or around the water cooler? All of those things, and, and the people see there's something different. And in that, you might get some rejection. You might get some hatred. That The world hates you because of it. But hatred always will lead to death. Just I want us to remember that. And then he moves on, and what I would call the evidence, love is, be, is the evidence that we are in Christ. So we give from what we are filled with. Whatever you are filling your life with, that is what's going to be flowing out of you. Look what he says in verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. So we have passed out of death into life. The new creation is in us, and out of that begins to flow life-giving, life-loving relationships with people. Now, does this mean that only Christians can actually love? I know people who are not believers who seem to love very well. So what, what is the difference? How, I, asked, I asked this at home the other day. I was like, what is different or what should be different from the way we as Christians love each other than from the way that an unbeliever loves another person? What should be different? How should it look differently? See, it's much more than just being nice and respectful to each other. It seems to me that love, that any kind of love that is given apart from Christ at the end of the day becomes self-serving. In that, I love you so that you will give me in something in return.
But when we give our lives to Christ and His love flows in us and we have our new heart, a new life, a new love, out of that will flow a love that is completely different. And I have these just three, three different ways that that love changes. The word that's used for love here in 1 John is the word agape. You probably have all heard the word. It means simply unconditional love. It means that as brothers and sisters, we love each other without expecting anything in return, without demanding anything in return. I think it's okay. Notice the difference. There's a difference between desire and demand. I think it's okay that if I love you, that I desire to, for you to love me in return. But when that becomes a demand, that if you don't, then I'm going to be whatever. That's where something completely changes. Love does not demand something in return. Look at the life of Jesus and the way that He loved. Jesus, it says, He says He, he laid down His life. The, ter- the, the, the way that verb is used, it gives this idea. It's this one-time action. The one thing Jesus did, and we're looking at We're talking about the cross where Jesus actually laid down His life, the greatest example of unconditional unconditional love that we've ever known, that we've ever, ever seen. And if that is becoming and is a part of my life, then something with how I love should also change. The love that I now give out becomes an unconditional love where I don't demand anything in return. Think of how Jesus loved you and I. It says when we were His enemies, He loved us. While we were still in our sin, He loved us and He gave Himself for us. Not demanding, desiring that we love Him in return, but not demanding that we love, love Him in return. So love of the believer is unconditional, and then it is sacrifice, sacrificial. Jesus, I mentioned this, Jesus laid down his life, that one singular action, but then he says, we ought to lay down our lives. A self-sacrificing kind of love is the love that he's talking about, and that ought to lay down our life. The, the, the verb tense is that is something that you do today. You do it all day today. You do it all day tomorrow. This is a present tense that you are living in. This is not some just a one-time thing. Okay, I gave you unconditional love. I gave you sacrificial love. Well, now I'm done. It's not that easy, right? It's something that you give over and over. It becomes a lifestyle that you live the way that you, you're self-sacrificing kind of love. And then lastly, love is much more than a profession. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. There again, I come back to our actions are the greatest evidence of what our true heart motive is. Like I said, I can tell you all day long that I love you, but if my actions say something else, it's different. It doesn't mean that we don't say it. I think it means that we do say it. We do tell each other, I love you. That needs to be, it needs to be a verbal thing, but the verbal also needs an action to follow it, to back it up. It cannot be only verbal. Those of you who are married, 
If you, said, if you ever say things like, well, I told my wife I loved her when we got married, you're in trouble. You need to say it over and over and over, but you can't just say it. It needs to give, have action in its fruit. And then just look how he describes this love very, very practically. He says, if I have something, if, I, if you have something that you need, and I have that to give, then I need to give it. If I don't give it, then I'm not loving you. Whatever, I mean, he's talking, like he's talking, the world's goods. All this material stuff and, and whatever it may be, all this material, the material things from money, you need a car for a week, whatever. He's saying, if I see you need it and I have the means to meet that, then if I love you, I will meet that need. I won't hold on to it for myself. So it's love is much more than just that profession. So there's two, there's two threads. Notice I, I said, when we looked at Cain's life, he said it's darkness. Darkness is one of the themes that he's talked about, John talks about. But then it led to, to hatred, and it led to death. Darkness will always lead to hatred, which will lead to death. For the believer, it's light and then love, and it leads to life. Love ends up giving life. It never brings death. Love is life-giving. Here about a week and a half ago, our, 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 the, our, the pastors were together, Wayne and Mary, Neoma, myself, and Marcus and Rita. We had supper together, and we were talking about, if you, if you haven't seen it already, we're quite different. Wayne and I are as different as day and night. Also, I pick on him because he's sitting here. Um, as different a day, as, as day and night. And it's good. I love that. But no matter, we, we were talking about the strengths and the weaknesses that we bring and the, the gifts that we bring. All of us, every one of us, have strengths and, something, and gifts that we bring to life. Right? We all do. Every, you all have something that you bring that's your strength. But at the end of the day... It doesn't really matter what that gift is if it's not given in love. Look what, look what Jesus, or um, let me just, let me close with this. 1 Corinthians 13, you guys know the passage so well. No matter what your strength is, no matter what your gift is, no matter where you land on the disc profile... This is what should be the mark of a Christian. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its, on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So this week, what will you bring? Will you bring light, love, and life to the people you meet, to the people you encounter? That has to be the defining, the defining, the very essence of what a believer is, is to love one another. Thank you for your attention. Um, 
We do have fellowship meal. I'm assuming the food 